Welcome to From the Valley Podcast. This is episode four uh, in the series. Today we've got a very special guest, a very good friend of mine, Billy Kirkley. Uh, Billy Kirkley I've known for more than 15 years. He's been a, a long-time client uh, of our accounting firm here. And uh, he, he's a specialist in uh, digital strategy. Uh, he's been a director of uh, companies in the past that have hosted web services. You sort of got to the cloud, I think, before a lot of other people got to the cloud. Uh, he has a very interesting story. He tells the story in a, in a manner that's uh, different from what you're used to. Uh, so Billy is, um, yeah, a very good friend of mine, as you know. So been in Brisbane for at least the last 20 years, so I thought he'd be a great person to have on the podcast. Welcome along, Billy. Yeah, thank you, Tim. <laughs> I appreciate for the invite. No, thank you very much. It's uh, it's obviously the coming to the end of the week here, um, and uh, obviously time to drink a beer, I think. <laughs> but uh, so I guess today's podcast is a bit about finding out a bit about yourself. Tell me some, tell us some of the stories that you have, a bit more about where you see things going in Brisbane, where you see things going digitally in the world. What are some of the things that influence you in your life? What are some of the, your stories? So I guess we'll start with a bit of early background if we can um a bit about your parents growing up i I believe you're an only child but it could be wrong i'm an only child um and uh, just tell us a bit about your parents where you grew up uh before you came to brisbane and that type of thing well i was born here in brisbane and I, i grew up in launton um and when i was about five or six uh we moved to the gold coast um my mum got a job on the gold coast um, so she first moved to the Gold Coast. Uh, she was a principal of a school there and moved to the coast about six months before Dad and myself moved moved over because they had to deal with the house. And Dad ran his own business um, out of home as well. He had actually had a, built a, a laboratory downstairs. Um, a laboratory? Uh, uh, he was doing tissue culture, which is like cloning plants. Wow. That's... Um, and, and, and that was sort of the early 80s. He was mm. doing all of that. So it took a while for him to, to, to work out what to do with that business as well. It was one of the reasons. Also, um, if I remember correctly, mum got the job halfway through the year, so I had to finish school. Then we did the big move over Christmas. Um, I, I, I spent the rest of my school life on the Gold Coast. Um, and uh, I, I moved back into the back to Brisbane in about 99. Um, so that's sort of that, that early history. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, after school, I, I certainly did a few things um, leading up to, to the digital business. So well. you, I guess um, from the, some of the stuff you may have told me in the past that you sort of adapted to technology at a fairly young age. You, you were sort of in the 90s. Tell us about what the tech you were getting up to in the 90s. Look, it all started at, at high school. And um, I had dreams of being Steven Spielberg I wanted to be a you know make big big screen movies and the um, movie world film studios had only just opened up on the Gold Coast and in grade 12 I did a school assignment which I ended up at the studios doing interviewing um, a guy called Michael Lake who was the sort of director of the studios at the time and uh, I think through that connection I ended up getting a job there and I ended up with as a job as a photographer um, and uh, and I, I, I thought long and hard about being the photographer but ended up that ended up taking me into a career working on several movies produced at the studios also at the theme park um, and that was all sponsored by Kodak 
And somehow through a series of weird events, I ended up getting offered a job for P&O, by P&O as a cruise ship photographer. And uh, I think the cell was something like... Is that sort of the late 80s, early 90s? That or? was the early 90s. Yeah. And, and the cell was... Um, and I was about... Eight, I just turned 18. And I remember the, the, um, the guy that owned this contract was a pretty high up in Kodak. And he said... He'd asked me lots of questions and pretty much his sell to me was, how would you like to earn three times what you're getting paid here and travel the world for free? Um, and I, th- I think I said yes before he finished that sentence. Um, so then I went and worked for P&O for a little while. And it was while I was working with P&O um, as a photographer, I, I got my hands on some of the very first digital photography um, equipment. And, uh, and it was the st- some of the stuff, early stuff that Kodak had developed. And I saw that and I also was introduced to email through, because we'd, we'd have to email some of it or, or send some of our footage back to head office. And we'd do it over email. Um, so email back in the early 90s? Like 92. Wow. And um, we were drum scanning stuff and, and uh, did, did like digitally converting photographs and then emailing them mm. and i also got shown this thing called the internet and i think that's what hooked me into the whole yep. internet phase um and not long after that i came home um and uh and i set up a digital photography business that was selling all the stock photography that i'd shot around the world online and i, I had a website in 1993 wow and uh and that's sort of what 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 started everything off. Um, that that website I built a, um, uh, a a merchant gateway, which is you know take credit cards online. Bit and, of e-commerce. Yeah, yeah, a bit of e-commerce, and then you know all the advertising agencies that that were buying my photographs um, started saying, "Look, could you build sites for for our clients with this credit card thing that you're doing? Because that's amazing." Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, I ended up earning more money than building websites and I did selling photographs so so that that's a really long story of how all of that sort of got me into that yeah that, that area I didn't plan on it at all and uh, a lot of a lot of my journey none of it was planned mm-hmm. um, it, it wasn't until you know later on until I got much older that I, I actually started to see some direction on where I could head yeah it's interesting um, yeah, but the internet I remember that back in the 90s it was, you know when it was very raw and very new, um, you know. You had to try to remember. Okay, what's going to be a cool domain name to register? You know, back in the nineties, uh, what what's available? Is this one available? You know, so there was a lot of opportunities back in those days, wasn't it? It was, and it was also the wild, wild west. Um, there were no rules. You could do whatever you wanted, um, and no one, like no one, there were, the, the rules weren't just what you can and can't do. But no, no one had tried stuff before. So there was no rules on what would work and what wouldn't work. So there was some. It was great to be part of that because there was some really radical, amazing things um, that I certainly got to see very early on. Um, and uh, you know, it seemed like every month there was new, amazing, radical stuff coming out um, that was going to benefit the world and change the world. And mm. I remember when Windows ninety five was big. All I think it was Windows ninety five yeah. and Windows. Yeah, pretty crazy stuff. So tell us, I guess, um, you've obviously been in a few different businesses, you know, obviously since you've been an adult. Um, you've always sort of liked to work for yourself, I believe. You don't sort of... Uh, it's always good to have, um, you know, relationships with other other people uh, when it comes to business. Um, 
but you always found that your best success and the, the way you work best is is to be in control um, of you know of the end result so tell us about why you decided to go that particular way young young in your career uh, I, I think the one and only boss I ever had said I was unemployable <laughs> um, <laughs> so so I and he was a South African guy and I actually um, respected him um, sort of I, I supplemented some of my early um, business ventures by doing a bit of casual work and he ran a, um, a, a wedding business on the Gold Coast which was like the premier business that was in bringing in all the Japanese um, couples to get married mm. and uh, like he, he was exceptionally successful he had an office in Sydney on the Gold Coast Port Douglas and a couple in New Zealand and I think at one stage there uh, he was famous for having uh, the largest private Rolls Royce collection um, because all these cars were being used for the Japanese weddings. <laughs> but he owned them all as well, you know, and he'd rent them out. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, he was the one that just said, you you are completely unemployable, you should go and work for yourself. And uh, But I guess that you, you've always struck me as someone who's a little bit entrepreneurial, um, always looking to sort of do something, you know, big perhaps is that is that a fair statement or do you think that you sort of work within parameters uh no i i i yeah, every cloud has a silver lining so i i do um you know i, I do look for big opportunity and, and and take risks um and i've failed dismally sometimes as well like i've, I've had some spectacular uh, financial explosions out of it all as well yeah um but uh yeah, no, I, I'd look, I'd, I'll try some stuff. I think the older I get, uh, the more conservative I become. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, I, I think that's, it's not fear, that's just wisdom. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't necessarily need to take as large a risks and, and each each thing's more mm. calculated. Mm. So we've um, Brisbane obviously been the, your hub here for the last 20 years at least. Um, what's sort of drawn you to this part of the world? What do you like about Brisbane? What are the, some of the memories that sort of over the last 20 years that stick out for you as far as the city is concerned and and uh, that type of thing? Well, the original draw for me for Brisbane um, was in the late 90s, early millennium. Um, a lot of people don't didn't know this, but Brisbane was, in fact, one of the hubs, um, one of the technology hubs for the internet. In fact, Milton um, was where a lot of uh, infrastructure was going in both Milton and also the Riverside Centre and so if you were doing anything um, in the early days of the internet they were the places to be um, and in fact uh, it was a very large um, body that was in control of um, one of the largest DNS servers and also the, the body that, can, that, that provides um, all the local IP addresses for, for, Southeast, uh, for the South Pacific was based in Milton um, and uh, which is a company called or a body called APNIC and uh, and so all the tech hubs were, were sort of concentrated in Milton so that's what drew me there because um, all the big players were, were had offices in that little technology So who were some of the big players back in those times? Uh, uh, look there's, there's none of them really would be names um, that uh, that we'd hear about today okay um there was a lot of infamy mm. uh brisbane 
actually it's the it had a bit of an underbelly on the internet and the other underbelly was um the 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 largest players in the adult internet industry mm. um all ran their bris- businesses out of brisbane okay um and so uh they were probably the largest players at the time mm. um and so next to that were a lot of credit card billing businesses yep. and and payment gateways um that were all sort of su- they were all surviving and thriving off each other yep um and there was also quite a quite a large um piece of video tech um a lot of video tech businesses were were in um in that that brisbane region as well Mm. Um, and search engines and, and other bits and pieces. So I didn't. This is a lot of stuff I didn't know. This is yeah. remarkable. Yeah. So um, uh, look, they're one of the world's largest internet gate, gateway or billers. Um, w- were based in Milton, and um, but uh, the, the guy got himself in a little bit of trouble um, with the FBI um, in sort of the mid two thousand. Or I think it was the about two thousand eight, two thousand and nine. Mm. Um, so that that business sort of collapsed a little bit, but yeah, there were there's, there were some massive players. Mm. Um, but yeah, he set up some nightclubs and um, built a lot, did a lot of property development, a few other bits and pieces as yeah. well. Yeah. So I mean, what, what do you think uh, Brisbane's like to do business with at the moment? Do you think it's a city that's uh, obviously you've said what really attracted you? What do you think's going to attract you to stay in this part of the world in the well, future? I mean, that was the early days of the millennium, and then yeah. we had the dot-com bus. Yeah. But what what has reignited my joy of, of Brisbane as a, as a technology city um, is uh, probably one of the one of the best things the most recent government who's just come in has done is that they've they've made a commitment to invest a lot of money um, into the the startup hubs and the startup community. Um, which is sort of the whole new catchphrase for for people trying out brand new things, um, and you know I've I've seen that grow and develop uh, over the last four or five years, um, and some of the huge amounts of money the Palaszczuk government's stuck into that the, the precincts in the last sort of three years. It's it's look I, I I tend not to be political I tend not to, to sort of choose a side but yeah I, I have to say they've they've they took some big risks throwing some money at, at tech okay. um, and they've actually paid off um, in fact the, the, the valley as a valley chamber um, just just in the uh, the, the Chinatown mall areas so yep. massive pre, the precinct which is a massive startup um, development that's completely funded by Queensland government so is that the um, I mean that, is that the TCB? Yeah, that's the that, yeah. that building. Yeah. So I've been there a f- few times. It's it's quite interesting. I've had a bit of a look around. Mm. A lot of uh, startups congregate there. Um, they've also got different agreements of how that, uh, and obviously some of them try to get off the ground. Obviously some will, some won't. You know. Mm. The look, what they're doing is just providing a safe environment. Yep. Um, for uh, y- you know, for people to innovate, um, and and sort of give them a bit of a soft landing. Yep. And uh, it's look, we didn't have that 15 years ago or 20 years ago no, or 30 not. years ago. Um, and I had the privilege to, to travel over to Boston a few times and I, I, I did some stuff over with MIT mm. um, and sort of got to see uh, uh, how Boston was doing it. And while I was over there, that I mean, I, I saw that and also in the Valley. I was like, look, if Brisbane could do what they were doing over in Boston, so um, tell us a bit about Boston. I mean, what what you obviously learned a few things about Boston. Yeah, uh, being over there a few times the last 
you know, the last few years. Um, so I'm interested to know what are the, your biggest takeaways from, from all of that and what, what do you think Brisbane really needs to do uh, better? Well, they're not, they're actually doing it. Um, yeah, yep. You know, this, the, the, I guess um, when I was in Boston three or four years ago, uh, I, I was, I, I kind of had drunk the Kool-Aid over there and um, I started knocking on doors over here and said, guys, you have to look at what these guys, are, what yep. they're doing in Boston. Yep. And again, someone listened <laughs> yep. and uh, managed to get um, some people with QUT connected over to Boston and um, also actually the Palaszczuk government listened um, and so they brought a lot of um, the programs that are, that, are, that are happening over there back to Brisbane um, and started uh, initiating them in fact there's one program I think next year will be its third year that it's run here okay um, and uh, and that so that's connecting Brisbane with both Silicon Valley and and also um, and Boston and, and sort of seeing all that new tech and all those new yep. ideas come out, come come and connect to Brisbane. Um, so they're actually doing it, and that's the other positive thing. Like Brisbane's real, the the community's listening. Yep. Um, and you know, from my perspective, I, I I felt really fortunate to help open those doors, and then it was also great to be able to step back and just watch it happen. Yep. Um, with, without having any further involvement in it. That, you know, it's like pulling your finger out of the dike and just letting the water flow. Yep. Um, yes. Mm. So, and, and, it, and it has. And it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen over the next 10 or 15 years because it, it looks like now, um, you know, all those precincts are infected. Everybody's now sort of follow, towing the line and, and following that, that those cultural processes. And uh, I think... Now, Brisbane's got a very bright future um, in that tech community. I think at the moment there was a, a study, I can't, can't quite remember where it was, but I think I read it in the Australian. Brisbane's currently leading Australia in, in uh, the innovation precincts. Mm. So, so that, that, that's been really good. That's um, a, yeah, that's, that's very, very interesting. Um, yeah, but definitely there's, there's that uh, there for Brisbane, and I think... Um, uh, it'll continue to evolve, and as you said, it'll be very interesting to see how things sort of go with that, you know, going forward. Um, I guess some of the other things, to, some of the, what other sort of interesting stories have you got sort of, you know, through the journey that you've sort of taken to get to this point? I'm sure I've heard a couple of some stories over the years about that are quite interesting, but that you, you've <laughs> learnt some stuff. Uh, but, you know, you, you do like to travel a bit. Um, obviously, you've been to a few different countries other than the States. Um, Japan and you've been to a few other I mean, tell us about some of the other countries and what, some of the experiences or look in the last um, I guess the last five years almost all the travel's been through work yeah um, you know, it's been I've also I also try and take a holiday at the same time if I can um, but that's been through the consulting work that I've been doing yeah you know, I've got um, New Zealand as well I think you've been yeah New Zealand yeah um, so uh, one one of the other areas I, I uh, consult into is the metal fabrication industry. Okay, what do you um, do with metal fabrication? Well, it, metal fabrication is one of the, another emerging industry, and uh, I, I've got a I've had a relationship with a with a client um, for I think over fifteen years now. Um, now, if I've known that client for fifteen years, I've known you for much longer than that, Tim. I, I think yeah. I think it's actually over twenty years because. 
Um, you started at CTBS. So 2000 I started, yeah, yeah so well, 18, yeah. Well, I've known you since then. Yeah, so pretty much from day one that I, from when I started working at CTBS, still work at CTBS, yeah. so, Any, yeah. Anyway, um, so I've had a 15-year client with, with a, a, a guy that um, imports and installs really large machinery um, in the metal fab industry at the press brakes, which are machines that fold metal, yep. and laser cutters, um, which, you know, they cut the metal. And, uh, and turret punches, which they, they punch holes in the metal. Mm. Um, and, and those tools are, you know, they start at about $500,000 and go up to a million. Um, and uh, what, what's fascinated me about this industry is it's, they're just starting to come online. It's started, just starting to go digital. And the CNC machine... Do you think they're sort of late adapters or...? Well... A lot of the lot of the machinery previous were just manually operated machines. Yes. But now it's all all starting to be connected back up to yep. the office, and there's this whole new wave called Industry 4.0. This is this is the fourth industrial re- revolution, and um, it's it's being driven by these computer controlled machines, um, and the ability to be able to manufacture on demand, um, and so. Uh, small meta, small to medium enterprises uh, are now being able to to be lean and quick and responsive um, by like you if you've got an idea you can send it to them and they can hand you the part back the next the very next day and previous to, to that you know it could take weeks it'd have to be prototyped and um, you know tested and then you know looked at and, and there'd be days and days or weeks and weeks of research well now with this new technology um there's there are no there's no prototyping you can you can get you can go from art to part mm. um in a day yeah and wow. so uh the company that manufactures some of these machines um has i've been working with for, for quite some time um in and i guess it's it just I did some marketing for them from the very early days, and uh, that that relationship just keeps growing and growing and growing. Yeah. Um, and so, look, that that's where the connection's been. And mm. so, because of them, I get to fly to, to everywhere they install their machines. So yep. New Zealand, Chicago, yeah, Belgium. Belgium, um, can't wait to go there. It'd be good. Yeah, yeah Belgium's a, a a great little place. Yeah, I'm actually I'm booked to go to Belgium um, just around Christmas time. Actually, well. Just around, just after Christmas, actually. It's a be- beautiful, beautiful country. So, so yeah, that's that's how there's been the travel, and also Japan's sort of a similar scenario. Mm. Um, that uh, there, there's some manufacturers over there that I've, I've had some working relationships with as well, and and uh, a couple of universities. Um, so I, I don't know. That's the short, um, grey answer. <laughs> Yeah, so you've got, you've certainly, uh, from what I've seen, you you what fascinated you. I don't know if it still fascinates you, but uh, YouTube obviously was a, a thing that you you're into. Um, well, I, s- I started the- started my YouTube journey before there was a YouTube. Um, yeah, okay. And I was a shareholder and and uh, a director of a startup um, that I got pulled into uh, in the. Uh, late uh, 99 2000 um, which was a, a, a startup based here in Brisbane um, that had a technology um, that could stream live video across the internet 
and uh, that, that ended up going into the Microsoft Media Player. Um, and so th- what they were doing was streaming um, the, all the, the board the board meetings of all the publicly listed companies so shareholders could watch those board, board meetings um, from home. Um, and uh, they were able to stream this video across like a, 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 um, a modem connection and, uh, and, and really, really good video. And uh, I ended up inheriting a lot of that technology. Um, the, the company, even though it was a great idea, uh, it folded. They could, like, the, once they, they ran out of runway, out of, out of the capital investment, they had nothing else, nowhere else to go. And um, I was in a situation where I ended up um, buying, buying all the gear and, and uh, all the customers they had and, and um, the racks and the internet connections and everything else. Um, and so that's that's what turned into the hosting company that I think yes. you probably saw. Yeah, the hosting company. You know, fifteen years ago, that's what that you're what you're sort of into the most. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that obviously well, went. I had to work out one. a way of of um, capitalizing all this equipment. Yeah. <laughs> and the thousand dollar a month or two thousand dollar a month um, internet connection that was plugged into all this gear. Wow. Yeah. And uh, and so um, hosting was the sort of obvious solution, but. Um, so, but because of that, I had a fair bit of experience on video, and and so, it that lay dormant, mm. and YouTube came along, um, and I mean, it took video took a long time, took a long, long, longer time to sort of become the way of doing things, didn't it? Well, what held it up was just simply the speed of people's connections. Yeah. So once uh, the speed caught up a bit yeah, more, the technology was there, but just the speed couldn't. Like you needed the speed to deliver it. Yeah, and uh, once that picked up, I mean, it, it took off. Yeah, and what got, got caught me into YouTube primarily, um, I jumped on very early. I, I knew video was going to work, um, and I saw YouTube just like a billboard on the busiest highway in the world, which is the soup like the internet super highway. And uh, what I also saw was a trend that people weren't like once b- before YouTube and before the internet, people would spend their weekend. Um, going shopping like let, let's think of a camera you, you, you'd spend two weekends looking at cameras yeah. at the shops you'd drive around all the different shops and look at them and you'd, you'd get all the brochures and you'd go home and you'd read them and then the third weekend you'd go back to buy the camera but you decided who you'd buy the camera from not because it was the cheapest but you'd buy it from the nicest sales guy the guy you trusted the guy that told you even the business yeah yeah or the business and what I saw was the internet cut that that relationship out, and I was seeing a repeat of um, the the, uh, the salesman relationship the customer was having. They were having that relationship with some of the YouTubers that were, were reviewing products. Okay. And yep. uh, I, I made the connection of the way Stefan used to get people to come to his hairdressing salon um, with the TV show. I thought this is just like what he did, only on YouTube. Um, so I, I, I look for businesses that had salesmen um, and I was able to, to sort of talk, through, talk them through the process of being able to say, well, look, this is how we'll keep your salesman in a job um, and create you know, YouTube videos. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And Stefan, I mean, he's a bit, when you think about Stefan, a bit of an icon. Yeah. Um, definitely. And for a lot he's of one diff- of my heroes. Yeah, definitely for a lot of different reasons. And he, you know, yeah, amazing sort of story, Stefan's. Um, yeah, so 
trying to think what else. So with the, um, where do you think things are going to head for you in the future? I mean, what, what do you, where do you see your involvement in the business world? Where do, you, where do you want to take things over the next 10, 20 years? Through all the work that I was doing in the startup fraternities in the last couple of years, I've seen um, in particular Australia is heavily weighted towards a university education. Um, every 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 family I speak to wants to go to uni or trying to get their yeah. kid to go to university. And in working with them in the metal fabrication or the manufacturing industries, every business I work with there, I say, "What's your biggest problem?" And their biggest problem is finding quali- trade qualified staff. Yeah, we have this huge trades shortage. So. Um, I think I think we're okay right now in the university sector and the innovation sector section, and where 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 I'm focusing on is where the shortage is 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 to actually help um, our manufacturing industries uh, find those staff and be able to train those staff, um, and uh, and and looking at setting up systems for for those businesses to be able to get trade qualified staff to work for them because it would be a terrible shame for us to lose our manufacturing industries you know we've lost the car manufacturing yeah, but but we've got s- some amazing um other industries that support the mining industries support like you, you know some of these industries create the most amount of income for this country so we, we need to be able to focus on looking at how we can um, make sure that those industries survive not just from their profitability but being able to pass that that knowledge on to younger people mm. um and and i think getting a trade I'd like to, you know, the, the next 20 years for me is to work on tuning into getting a trade being cool again as well. That's okay. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's certainly a lot of variety when it comes to what, what's cool and what's not cool, whether to go to uni, whether to, you know, do a trade, to be in, get in the construction industry, do all that sort of stuff, get into something more specialist, maybe some jobs that haven't been thought of yet. We always hear these jobs that, you know, that, they weren't there, you know, two or three years ago. These new ones that pop up all the time. Uh, what what sort of jobs do you think are going to be there that aren't there at the moment, or going to be more prevalent that just aren't there at the moment? Well, the, uh, the robots are coming to replace us all in yeah. in so many different areas. Um, my my twelve year old daughter, um, I, I've sort of said to her, uh, think about how you can help people. Um, because something a robot can't replace is is interacting with people. So if you and so school teachers, for instance, uh, I think we're always get, always going to need them. They won't be replaced by by robots. Um, but uh, you know, relational connections uh, are where there's there's going to be huge like <laughs> providing experiences for people. People are going to be bored in mm. in certain respects. So. We've got to really focus on how we can interact and help help with people. Those jobs aren't going to die. Mm. Um, I still think people will be there, need to be there in the manufacturing areas or those sort of areas, that, but they'll be working on repairing the robots. Um, yeah, you talk about you know coding obviously being more prevalent, more people wanting to learn coding at a younger age. Uh, no, look, not. I don't think coding's going to be... Um, the way coding's... There's going to be a point where you won't need to write code. Yeah, um, and that's yeah, coming right now, um, especially with the way AI works. Like almost all the all the code we need's been written. Yep. Um, with machine learning, 
um, you're not going to need to write the code anymore. You're just going to need to be able to give it instructions, whether it be verbally or physically. Um, yeah, okay. So that, that, that's, that's the way uh, human-machine interfaces are, are, are moving. You won't need to code. Mm. Um, you just need to show. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, there'll still, there'll still be a small need to code, but I think at the moment all the schools focusing on teaching all the kids how to code um, I, I, th I think there's been more of a focus on that. You hear about yeah, it anyway, not that. You yeah. Well, like again, I got a you know primary school aged child. Yeah. Um, they're, they're focusing a lot on that, and, and uh, I think that's going to be a redundant knowledge. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're the you're the man who knows. So, yeah. to me, that to me, what you say definitely makes sense when it comes to to that analogy. Um, you know, coding, but um, the what. What other jobs are going to be? Obviously, they're going to have to, you know, learn how to. So sorry, going back to something else I was thinking before, relationships. So, um, obviously, we're talking in in different generations. The way we do business at the moment, as you know, it's all built on relationships. It's all built on the rapport that you have with the client. They refer them to somebody else. This is in the accounting speak, um, and there's always new. There's always new work coming in the door all the time because of that word of mouth referral 95 mm -hmm. percent of the you know the business that we generate uh and that's how businesses evolve i mean i spoke to robert cooper last week he started his insurance broker brokerage stuff from from scratch but it was all about his relationships that he'd built up uh, before deciding to go out and venture into his own world so the relationships that we have with our sort of generation, mainly we're talking Generation X, it, it, it's a lot about relationship there, even Y to a lot of degree. But in the future, I mean, is relationship still going to be as important uh, when it comes to building your business? Yes. Yeah. Um, it, I, I think that's that's always going to be one of the secret key ingredients of growing business is those relationships that you keep. Um yeah, ultimately, business is about attracting and gaining customers. So you've you've got to you've got to learn you've got to operate those principles of um, you know, creating rapport, creating repeat customerage. Um, that's all all about relationship and trust. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll just take a bit of a break there. there okay. Track two. We're back from the break. We've just been talking about technology with Billy for the last half an hour or so, and um, very interesting some of the stuff that we've spoken about so far. But I guess some other topics that sort of bring to your attention. Tell me your thoughts about driverless cars, and you know, Elon is it Elon Musk? Yeah, Elon Musk. Yeah. What What do you think is going to happen with driverless cars? I mean, is it something that's going to be the norm in ten years' time? Uh, I, I, I'd like to see it starting to happen in 10 years, but I, it might take a little bit longer than that. But I think when it does, when, when the whole autonomy thing happens, it's going to happen really quick, um, as almost as fast as smartphones, or actually probably faster than smartphones, where there'll be a moment where just every manufacturer brings out an autonomous car. And then, you know, not too long after that, like a couple of years, every model will be autonomous um, or, or have a level of autonomy. And I'd say as soon as that starts, within five years after that, you know, you'll start seeing cars without steering wheels. Um, but 
that brings on a whole heap like I know Brisbane City Council are already planning for, for um, the day that autonomous how when autonomous cars come in and how they actually flow traffic in the in the inner city precincts um, but just think about this or, or ask ask yourself this will we need parking garages when we've got autonomous cars they're, I mean they're already talking about having houses without garages yeah. and and, and you won't need garages in the city, so all, all that city real estate, what's going to happen to that? Um, so autonomous cars truly are going to ch- fundamentally change the way that we live. Um, you know, what, what will autonomous cars do when, when um, we're at work or once they've dropped us off at the destination? Um, excuse me. Um, but, you know, there, there, there's so many different questions just on that. But also, what what are all these houses with garages going to do with their garages? Just uh, build them in and put another room. <laughs> well, may, maybe, but uh, you know, this is it going to be like horse stables, or um, it, you know, is it still going to be a novelty to keep a, a car that you drive? And then there's yeah. well, what happens to the cars? What what happens to my you know 1973 911 Porsche um, that uh, that I drive? What 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 you know? Can I ever get to drive that again, or is it going to be like riding horses, where you have to take it to a, a you know, a track somewhere to be able to, to to drive it? So, and it's not just your Porsche. Like you know, or any anyone that wants to keep keep driving, what what will they be able to do? You know, I mean, what, will you share the road? Yeah. So, and they're talking driverless cars. The other thing is flying cars. I mean, they shouldn't be too far away, should it? Um. Well, I mean, if you look at how drones work now, it's just a larger version yeah. of what you've got with the drones. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I see that working exactly the same way. And fingers crossed they're, they're just as safe or they're safer. I mean, drones weren't really around much five years ago, were they? They're sort of more, oh, more prevalent. Was, five years ago, it was an emerging technology. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, like with anything that gets pumped out of the electronics areas of China... Um, once they can replicate it, they replicate it a lot. Yeah. What about so? Do you do you look at business from these big countries like the United States and China, and do you think to yourself, do you have an opinion on where things are going to go globally? Do you think there's going to China's shaping up to be the most dominant player in the world? Do you think that's going to happen? I think the way we look at China. Uh, I think China is definitely a player um, that Australia should keep their eye on. Um, In the tech space as well? Uh, look, tech is a thing where it, you know, it doesn't matter where it gets developed. Yeah. Um, it, it's a commodity. So it just gets developed and then sold. Um, and so. I don't think we should really be that fearful of tech, but it's got. It, I think it's got to do with more um, how we integrate and and do business using tech, um, and and who and who we're giving control of with that tech. Um, so, you know, for instance, a lot of a lot of businesses now are throwing huge amounts of money at Google for advertising. Um, well, that used to once go to the Yellow Pages. 
and uh, yeah, and they and, obviously and, yellow and pages that, became redundant, didn't they? Well, well so but that that at least that advertising dollar stayed within the country. Now what's happening is that a, a huge amount of of uh, Australian business money keeps getting like funneled across you know across overseas to a to a foreign business. Yeah, yep. huge amounts like yeah, huge amounts of advertising. Astronomical, yeah, astronomical, and. Look, when it was going into Yellow Pages, at least people that work for Yellow Pages got paid and the money went back into the economy. It stayed within Australia. But, um, you, you know, that's just a small example of, like, the money come, leaves our shores and, and nicks off overseas. We never see it again. Like, it's mm. not like, you know, Google's pouring that money back into Australia. God, and, no. It, with with um, staff for innovation here. It's the same with Facebook and it's the mm. same with um, Apple, you know, and... Uh, so, look, I, I don't think we've been very wise with what... We, I mean, we have to play it. You, you've you got to move with the times. But I don't think we've been very wise in how we've been able to handle that. And, and you know, if we're not too careful, that we're going to be doing that with China as well. Yeah, uh, and companies like Uber, I mean, obviously they weren't around even five years ago. Well, again, not, not there's, there. a, there's another foreign company Yeah. Uh, that's disrupting... Us and many and Airbnb's and we were talking one. about this last week that um, you know the the taxi licenses how much they are just not worth anything at all and they paid like you know four or five hundred thousand dollars for those. Look, I think the taxi industry deserves it. Yep. Um, and uh, it, it's they've only got themselves to blame. Um, that, uh, but you know they could have quick they they could have been agile and moved when when this came in and lifted the game. And uh, you know they're laughing at uh, Uber drivers turning up with their bottles of water and clean cars. Yeah, they've and and the cu- the customers have spoken with their feet. Mm. I mean, and, and you see these disruptions with you know lots of different industries. Um, so if these, if the guys that have got the monopoly have got the, have got the um, control, if they sort of don't you know take need of the competition, they just they just go out the door like Look, you know Kodak, you know. All these different types of businesses that I, are. I think if we're going to pay attention to any country, there's two. There's two that I think we should pay attention to. One's Israel. Israel. Uh, Israel. Why is Israel? A, Israel is a um, amazingly smart little country. Um, wow. They, they, they do some some really great tech out of there, and they do some great innovation, and they come up with some really good ideas. Um, and it's a worthwhile, like that's a real good little melting pot of ideas. Um, to actually see, and, and there's a lot of successful little businesses come out of Israel and successful ideas. So, what sort of made you sort of look at Israel? Where did it become prevalent for you? Well, Tel Aviv's got a really amazing innovation hub. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, again, they're just uh, they're forced they're forced to innovate, and it's no different to the way Australia was 50 years ago. Yeah. Where we were separated from the rest of the world, so we couldn't 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 afford to um, import, so we had to come up with it ourselves. Um, and Israel's in, in that particular region of Europe. Um, you know, they're in situations where they've got to come up with a lot of this stuff themselves to protect themselves and look after their borders. But that's making them really innovative. And the other one's actually Korea, South Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, South Korea is a really interesting uh, nation uh, because, in many respects, they're landlocked. Uh, they're, they're cut off. They're cut off from um, everywhere else. They're like an island because not the north cuts them off with trade so everything has to be flown in or shipped into to korea and uh and korea does again some really uh, you know pretty successful innovation 
um, but they also take really good ideas from elsewhere um, and convert it into their own. Like they, they'll they'll cop replicate those ideas for their own country, and but their government supports them for that. Like they, the, the Korean government throws billions of dollars um, for internal businesses to be able to replicate systems that they're seeing outside. And to some extent, China does that as well, yeah. which has made it so successful. So you sort of have you sort of gone to Tel Aviv, that part of the world? Or? I haven't been to Tel Aviv, no. Um, I've been to South Korea. I've been been to Seoul. I've oh, been to Seoul, yeah. Yeah, and and uh, and I had a good look in their in, um, innovation precincts, um, and uh, and sort of had some pretty good involvement with some of the the key players there uh, in, in in some of those innovation precincts as well, um, and sort of seeing some of their really really cool. In fact, a couple of really talented Australians over there um, running some of the innovation hubs um, but uh, yeah, no, Europe's here about the other area I've been to but uh, not Tel Aviv I just I just see it from a distance okay Tel Aviv that's that's an interesting one so some of, what are some of your other hobbies I know that you you obviously you, your, your business world is obviously always going to be surrounded by tech billion I can see that it's whether it's this thing whether it's that thing whether it's uh, YouTube whether it's getting the manufacturing industry you know up to that sort of stuff but up to being you know current when it comes to um, digital uh, but what are, what are some of your hobbies what are the other things that you like outside of just looking at tech and uh, dealing with tech that's a bloody hard question to answer <laughs> uh, I, I haven't had a hobby um, you know, right now my, my, my biggest hobby is trying to do nothing. Um, that uh, my my week my weekends I, I essentially my partner and, and I just we go for walks on the beach. Oh well, man, um, that's that's good recreation. And, is and, you know, uh, the walking's good and, rec. You know, I try and I try and just take time off, um, turn turn the mind off and and just you know do do the opposite of being busy. Um, but uh, look, I, 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 at one stage there was had got into the cycling thing, and I and I did the. Yeah, um, I bought I bought a bike about six months uh, ago. I, in fact, I've promised you to go riding with you, and I've got a bike sitting there. Um, and uh, that that started out with a a, a um, foolish pursuit of triathlon. And uh, <laughs> and if you could see me, I, you'd never pick me to to have done triathlon before because uh, I'm. A, I think they call it Clydesdale, you know, about 100 kilos heavier than a triathlete. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, six or seven years ago, I thought that that would... Well, someone challenged me that... Uh, I said, what's one thing on your bucket list you don't ever think you'll do? And uh, I, I was foolish enough to say complete an Olympic triathlon. And a year So did and you a, do... Did you end up doing a triathlon? Yeah, a year and a half later, I, I was crossing the finish line at uh, the Noosa Try. And how long ago was that? Um, the, the last time I did the Noosa Try was 2013 or, four, or 14. So four those. or five years ago, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I actually, you know, got a bit of common sense back and thought it was a very selfish pursuit training for that. Um, you've got to be good at three things. Mm. And uh, each one of those three things can take up your whole week. And when you're trying to be good at all three of them, when you haven't done any of them, mm. um, it, it, it does take a lot of time. 
mm. and uh, it, it, it's it's exhausting as well. <laughs> yeah. So, what parts of the world? Um, you, what parts of the world do you think are probably the best to go to for a holiday destination? Just from your experiences, Billy. I know you're not a travel guide or anything like that, but I like. I know you like to travel. Uh, and what's what's probably one place that you've never been to that you wish you'd been to? So there's there's a couple of couple of well my two favourite places to go. I've got to say Japan is just a sensation. Um, you, 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 it doesn't matter where you go in Japan, you can guarantee um, you'll come away with a positive experience. Um, and New Zealand's another place that I I, I consider the same. Um, they're, they're both beautiful places to visit. Um, uh, with really lovely people. Uh, as an Aussie, um, if there's any New Zealanders li- living, I'll confess to say that I'd, I would move to New Zealand tomorrow um, and quite happily call it home. Yeah, my wife would too. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it is a beautiful, beautiful nation. It's a great place. Uh, lovely people. Um, and I think, again, New Zealand's a nation we can learn a lot from. Um, I mean, do you prefer the South Island or...? Uh, yeah, probably the South the south really gets gets yeah, me. Yeah. Um, but there's some places in the north that I really like as well. Um, Napier is a beautiful little part of the north. I need to I need to go to Napier. That sounds very, very it, good. It, it's it's yeah. It, it's I only just recently went there for the first time, and it's a beautiful part, beautiful little town to go to. Mm. But uh, yeah, I think Australia's got a lot, lot to learn from New Zealand and the way they've set themselves up. I mean, just a small example. It's New Zealand um, stopped people from being able to litigate. Um, you can't litigate in. There's no litigation in New Zealand. No. Um, so their whole medical system, for instance, is structured completely differently to, to our own. Um, and uh, you know, you actually in New Zealand still have to take responsibility for yourself. Um, and I think we could learn from that. But uh, yeah, somewhere else in the world. So Japan, and uh, where have I gone that I haven't been that I really would like to go? One, one of the places that's on my bucket list still to go to is is Canada, obviously. Canada, is. yeah. Have you been to Canada? I haven't. Um, I've come no. very close, but like very close to the to the Canadian border, but yeah. <laughs> never actually got in. But I'd like to go to Vancouver. Um, yeah. I think that'd be fantastic. Um, Victoria Island. You know, Banff, or just all that sort of area there would be that's still on the bucket list. I mean, I've I've done bits and pieces of Europe. Um, still a few bits and pieces of Europe to do. Is there anywhere in Europe you haven't been that you that? Yeah, there's heaps of places. I, I mean, I haven't done Italy. Um, yeah, Italy certainly. Um, Milan is, you know, it's it's got this big big sort of feel to it. You've you know, I Venice is is, is certainly it's, it's its own world venice really it really yeah. is i haven't been to rome yet but um that's another place my wife keeps telling me that we you know rome's should be should be considered as well what, a, what a, so whereabouts in europe have you been have you been any well primarily france and belgium yeah um, okay are, are the two two main oh, so, and, and also uh greece i haven't I did, been that's I, that's also on but, the, on but the I, list. I can't <laughs> look greece is a funny one um i have a very good friend that heads up a university there and uh, I flew in for two days um, on, on a you know on a work trip when I was over there 
and I literally came in at night, got in a cab, went to the hotel, um, did a two-day conference with him in that hotel, and then got on a plane and flew out. And the, the irony was this hotel was right underneath the pan- Pantheon, and I didn't even get to see the Pantheon. <laughs> so oh. I've, I've, been, I've been to Greece, but I haven't actually seen it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Bel- yeah, so with Belgium, um, you've been to all the towns there? Um, no, I've been to one town in Belgium. Um, just Brussels? And, and or? No, no, a, a, a tiny little town um, about 60 kilometres out of Lille, um, which is a French town. Um, and Lille's sort of known because it's where the Eurorail yep. flips through, it comes over from Britain yep. through Lille, and then Lille goes to Paris. Yep. Um, and across the border in Belgium is a little town called Kortrijk. Okay. And uh, and that's where this Belgian company manufactures all their tools. Oh, okay. That's very interesting. So I stayed there for about a week and a half last year. Excuse me mm. again. Yeah, no, it's excellent. Um, yeah, so Brisbane, I mean, I think I think it's some really good things uh, in, in the pipeline for Brisbane. I went to, about a month ago, I went to... Um, uh, a lunch, the Valley Vision. It's a bit of a, a bit of a Victoria on where they, th- how they're going to develop the valley and the city and sort of make them sort of a bit more in unison at the moment. It's sort of like a, you, you know, you sort of got your back to each other, yep. you know. So there's yep. not there's not a lot of harmony right through the middle. So that it's going to be it's going to hopefully be a lot greener. There's going to be a lot more, you know, sort of modernisation in the valley as well, which I'm looking forward to. I've got, a guest that I've got on next week, um, his name's uh, Di Gwyn Jones. He, he was instrumental in this particular um, whole Valley Vision project. So I'm certainly looking forward to talking to him about this time next week. So that should be a good one. Um, what's happening in the Valley at the moment? So actually tonight there's a... Um, Trevor Evans has got something on. Um, it's a bit of a history thing of the Valley, actually. Um so I'm going to go to that tonight. It's around about 6:30 p.m. Um, I think it's along Brunswick Street somewhere. It's just seemed like an interesting event to go to. A bit of a bit about the history of the valley. Um, so I think that should be quite good. Uh, did you go to the Ecker at all this year? Probably. Or no. No, no. I worked on Wednesday. That was um, handing out Sundays and stuff. Yeah, I did. You, at the Apex stand. Uh, we're Apex as part of Apex. We yeah. were helping out with the Royal Children's Hospital Foundation. Um, that's probably the busiest I've ever seen the Ecker to be honest it was you're like you're in like packed in like sardines it really? was it was definitely the busy, busiest from 11am to nearly 6pm I've ever seen wow we went I was did a shift from 11.30 to 5 didn't stop at all it was the whole time the queue was at least at least a dozen deep at least the whole time it was wow. just on the and that's just one of eight different strawberry sunday stands around the ecker it was it's just crazy how busy it was and it's i think the the general public are paying 35 bucks a pop to to um to get into the uh ecker at the moment it's just it's quite crazy to be honest uh and still getting that sort of demand i mean it defies logic to me but i wouldn't have gone in unless i was helping out but (laughs) um so the valley, there's there's a couple of meet and mingles. The next one, I think, is the end of the month. Is um, at Welcome to Bowen Hills, which is King Street, the corner there. Um, I have popped in to see that. I, I think that's 
it, it, it's a really good use of that space. Yeah, and they've got the, there's a new Barbarian there. For some reason, we spent at least a few hours there after after our shift yeah. at the Barbarian. There's a new Barbarian they've got there. Um, also, so in in September, early September, they've got um, I don't know if you've ever been to Big Sound before. I went to it last year, the first week of September. What they do there is in the valley they have about 18 different um, venues that participate and all the indie bands go in uh-huh. and um, next next thing you know the next year after that you hear them on you know they're all on triple j and all that sort all of right, stuff yeah. so they start somewhere um i'm going for probably the three nights it starts about the fourth of september i think um the valley chamber are doing something with that on september the third um do you know anything about the brisbane sea deck have you heard of that no i have not so is that it's, the boat? Yeah, it's a river lookout cruise terminal, pontoon A. It's a, I think it's from over at Southbank. They're doing some sort of thing to do with the Big Sound launch because that's when it launches on the Tuesday. Um, there's an AGM coming up on the 13th of September for the Valley Chamber of Commerce. But what's big coming up in September, the 21st of September, they've now recently announced um, the Valley Chamber of Commerce Business Festival. Um, so it's a business festival. You know how you have like an expo and a festival. It's like a mixture of both. Yeah. It's going to be in King Street. They're going to have um, a f- like a few of those streets up there. Um, so they've only just released the information. It's going to be on a Friday, the 21st of September. Uh, there are exhibitor spaces available for either 500 or 750 bucks, two different price rate points, I think. Um, then after, so that should be quite interesting. I'll definitely go to it. I'm hoping I'll. I'll see if I can also have a, a stall there, but it, it's certainly be a bit different, and they'll have it all set up, and it'll be, it's a good place to do it. Yeah. Um, a, there's a, another breakfast at the at Blackbird again, um, the Business Council Australia, some sort of breakfast on the 26th of September. Um, then they've got another meet and mingle at the end of September at Winning Appliances. That's the place under. I don't know if you know where that is. Do you know where that is? Winning Appliances, sort of at the base of. Um, F, FV Peppers, which is where the Five Ways is, as you sort of come oh, in. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's winning there as well now. It's the winning appliances. It's a big one there. It's right at the yeah. base of the building. They, they have all that. Um, so that's what's coming up. I'm not sure what's what's on after the end of September, but that's what's coming up over the next um, couple of months. So I'm looking forward to that. If you want to come to any of those events, Billy, quite welcome to tag along. Um, so it'd be great. Um, this has been a good podcast, Billy. It's been great for chatting to you for about an hour uh, about a bit of your experiences and uh, uh, it's c- certainly uh, we'd like to have interesting guests on and I believe that you're that oh, thank you um, Pleasure to be here. so it's been really good um, yeah so enjoy the rest of your weekend if, if it is the weekend now for you yeah but it is yeah no, I, I always try and take the weekends off Okay, so that's been the uh, From the Valley podcast. I've been your host, Tim Wilshire. We look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you very much.